Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And God knows that inside this marble is a beautiful, beautiful statue or object that needs to be chiseled. Well, often God will take that chisel and a hammer and he will use it in his wise wisdom to begin chiseling at us. Now, if we want to really reach our full potential and be worth a lot more than a chunk of marble, we want to be worth what a beautiful statue and object would be, then we have to thank God for God bringing hammers and chisels into our life to make us what we are today. So right now, if you will, pause. And I want you to think about the person that you want to begin praying for. And before you start asking for their life to be changed, why don't you thank God that they are in your life for the good that they've done and for the good that they could do in your life. Watch this. And for the good they could do in a lot more people's lives. You know what that's doing? Watch this now. There's a dynamic that's going on that's not found in this passage, but it is found in Scripture, and that's this. When you start thinking about the best of other people, you begin thanking them, you start seeing value in them, that's bringing humility in you and me. We begin to humble ourselves when we see all of that. And then we all of a sudden start getting that wonderful humility thing going on. And what does God then do? He then begins to dump on us, just pour on us His grace, which is the ability now to do what we ought to do. So watch. If you have a hard time praying for others, the first thing you do is think of something positive about that person. Begin to thank God for them. And to do that authentically, there's a bit of humility when you start thinking better of others. Now you're in a place for God to give you the strength to do the very thing He's going to request us to do, to pray for them. So there is a formula in here. Little side note. That's why we do expository Bible teaching here. That's why we take a little bit longer on Sunday mornings and we take a little longer in the book because all of this is a beautiful link together. All right, let's go back to the passage here. So we're going to keep on asking for them, and boy, how beautiful that is. So who have you been praying for consistently on a regular basis? I don't know, but I hope you have someone. Well, let's go to the next one here because we talked about how important that is to give thanks for them. The third one is to keep on asking for them. He said, I do not cease to give thanks. I do not cease to make mention of you in my prayers. This is a hard one. When I look at that passage when he says, I do not cease making mention of you in my prayers. Because, first of all, in my opinion, this is my opinion, I think we get so busy that we do really quick rub-a-dub-dub type prayers. You know what I mean? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and we move on, you know? Paul wasn't like this. He prayed constantly. I have a dear friend that when he meets a new friend and he makes a new friend, he asks them, what is your favorite Bible verse? And that person has to think, and then they come up with their favorite Bible verse. And they give it to him, and he writes their name right next to that Bible verse in his Bible. He showed me his Bible. I I, I see thousands and thousands of names throughout the pages of the Bible. Now, obviously... John 3.16 has got a, you know, like a gazillion names around it because everybody takes John 3.16. But he's got all of these. And he says, you know what, Stan? As I'm having my quiet time, I'm reading through this. And when I come across that verse, I look right next to it. All the people there, I pray for them. Now, that's gimmicky. We, don't, we know the Apostle Paul didn't do that. What we do know the Apostle Paul did was when that person came to his mind, as often as he remembered them, he made mention of them in his prayers. You know what that tells me? He didn't have a lot of time 
for a lot of good things in his life because he made time for the great things in his life. And so I would just encourage you that you would now have these people in your life and don't give up. You keep on knocking. You keep on knocking. You keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You put that person in front of you. And don't listen to Satan when Satan says, it's hopeless. Go to the next person. It's not really working. God's finished with that person. You're wasting your time. There's too many others that could turn around. Go with the ones that are moving, not the ones who are not moving. No, you just keep asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. Watch this. It's not because the harder and longer you rub the genie bottle, finally God pops out and he begins to answer your prayers. Because prayer is still not all about asking and receiving. Prayer is about building a relationship with him. It's developing intimacy with him as you are calling upon the Lord, still seeking him, seeking him on behalf of others. It's knowing that God is large and in charge and will take care of these things His way and His timing. It's a subtle way to continue letting the Lord know and you know that God doesn't give up on those people and therefore we should not give up on those people. And one way we prove that we don't give up on those people is we're going to continue praying for them. We cannot intimidate them, manipulate them. They won't do nothing, anything to get better. We are going to the Lord and saying, Lord, they belong to you. They are your child. Remember praying for believers. We're, we're praying. We are partnering with you. We're saying if there's anything we can do to help them, we're right here. Do not give up on them. Do not give up. When we've been praying for our son, it didn't happen in one week, one month, one year, even one decade. And I can tell you that there was no amount of talking and Bible verses and uh, that didn't bring it around. And watch this, it's going to sound shocking. All the love, all the Christmas cards, all the phone calls, all the money that we would give to them, all the time we would look for ways to affirm him, even that love did not change him. It's likely that that love didn't drive him away, but that love didn't change him. What changed him was a sovereign hand of God on his life, and I believe that praying is a part of it. And I only bring him before you, but there are many others that can give that same testimony. So, my friend, keep on asking for them. Don't give up. Number four, all right, still in the same passage, you want to keep in mind who you're praying to. Keep in mind who you're praying to. Back to the passage here. If you will, go to verse 17. I like it because it says that. While making mention of you in my prayers, that. You could put the word so in front of that. So that. I'm thanking God for you. I'm making mention of you in my prayers. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you something, which we'll talk about in a moment. The point of the matter is, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may do this. Now, let me share this with you. The people that you love, the people that you want to have help, obviously you want to bring people around them that will be positive influences. I I get that. You get that. We would want that to happen. And perhaps some of our prayers would be that that will happen. Perhaps some of those times we will encourage or invite others to somehow come into their life. Oftentimes I pray almost the opposite. I pray that the Lord would remove from their life people or influences that are distracting them from the opportunity to see God. And so I'm asking God to have that person feel so alone that they can then now not hear the noise and the clutter of other people and only see God. So people are important. I get that. But I also want you to know that it still goes all back to the Lord. So let me remind you that as much as you want to give them a book, give them a magazine, send them a CD, 
Give them a website. Whatever you want to do, be very careful that you do not do two words. Manipulate them or intimidate them. Your desire now is to go to God who is their God and Father of all glory. So their God is your God. Their Father is your Father. So when you're praying to them, you're almost saying, Lord, would you now talk to the brother? Like going to your dad and saying, Dad, I'm not tattling. You already know this. But I'm coming to you that you would help them to be able to overcome whatever they're going through. And I would like to be a part of that solution if you want. So remember, your greatest source of another person's changing is going to be in God and all of, watch this, God's resources. His spirit, his word, godly people perhaps, but it all comes to God. Now, why do we say that? Why would it all be, I'm thanking God, it's all about God in your life? Here's what can happen. If you put them so much underneath great teachers and you push them in the direction of great writers and you make them get around wonderful godly people... There's a temptation and a susceptibility that if something happens, the credit will go to those people rather than the Lord. Did you catch that? That's very deep. And so what you don't want to do, not that you don't put them around them, but you want to make sure that it's God above the, the book. It's God above the CD. God above the DVD. God above the conference. God above the counselor. All right? That God gets all the credit because it all comes from He may use those resources like we talked about. But Paul said it's all about God. And I hope we keep that in mind. So remember who you're really praying to and how special that really is. So that's number four. Number five, still in the same verse. Verse 17 then goes on to say that that God, our God, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is going to sound odd, so write it down and then let me unpack it for you. Ask the Lord to give them insight, spiritual insight, to know Christ better. To know Christ better. Now we're getting into the real heartfelt. What do I pray for them? What do I actually pray for them? We're kind of setting it up for right now. And when we get there, here's what I'd like to say. In this passage, it's talking about that they would understand wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Would you go back over your little prayer list that you have with people? And as you look at that list, what kinds of things about others are you praying for? Are you praying they're sick? You want them to get well. So you're praying for fitness. Is it they're, they're, they're struggling financially to get a job, so you're praying for finances. Uh, they're having conflicts within their family, so you're praying for family. They seem to be oppressed on their job with an unreasonable boss or manager or supervisor, so you, you pray for their foes, we might say. We can go on and on and pray for all of these. And I'm not saying don't do that, but sometimes we pray so much that we try to relieve the problems when God wants those problems in their life. I say this in grace. I know the health, wealth thing. Don't go there. That often God wants and permits these challenges to come into our life so that we would realize it's not about removing the challenges. It's about standing strong with joyfulness that only can come from Him when we know Him intimately. Did you catch that? Because if not, then our happiness is going to become, will come from, Ooh, I'm healthier now. Ooh, I've got a better job now. Ooh, my family's all in order. Instead of about Him and Him alone. So that's why it says here, this is what I'm praying for. Basically, it's the very first thing I'm praying for, that... The Lord may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So I hope that you might keep that in mind, that it's all about knowing Him 
and knowing him personally and intimately. I put a quote there in your notes from a wonderful man of God, Bible teacher, pastor named Warren Wearsby. Would you look at it, if you will, in your notes? He's referring to Paul here, and he says, Paul does not ask God to give them, in Ephesus, what they do not have, but rather prays that God will reveal to them what they already have, and that is the capacity to be able to know the Lord completely and intimately. Let me go back to my son, our son. Carol's my son. Um, when Joe called us when he was having his come to Jesus time, there was a sense of, of, of brokenness. There was a sense of, oh, Dad, I have failed. And then he went through his list of failures, beginning with God, beginning with his family and others, etc. So he had this bit of brokenness. Now, I want to tell you that a lot of people get broken. You know, I, I was broken when my mom and dad caught my hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. But it didn't bring a, it wasn't long-lasting. It wasn't until I realized I was violating what my mom had the cookies for. I didn't get permission. You know, the whole thing. So then uh, Joe chose to then remove every single distraction in his life so that he could concentrate deeply on the Word of God for hours and hours and hours every day. Now, I want you to look at... I never once told him, go to your Bible now, open it up. The brokenness now came with all the backstory that he opened up his Bible and he began to study hours and hours. His next request was, get me a good study Bible, Dad. Can you do that? Which one? And of course, we sent him a study Bible so it'd have much more notes in there. Then he began to interface with other believers. Now, why am I telling you that? Watch this. Watch this very more. No one will ever have an accurate intimacy with God apart from an accurate intimacy in God's Word. And when I say that, it has to be the Word of God accurately. We can grab a verse here and a verse there, and we can, we can develop any doctrine we want, if we want to, just by grabbing verses all over the place. But we have to know the Word properly interpreted in the historical setting, what it means to the people then, and what God wants for us to know now, properly as it now fits into the systematic theology of Scripture. Now, when you're doing all of that, there's also a danger. Because Satan says, okay, you got all that great knowledge, so now you have a relationship with, watch this, here's a big word coming at you, orthodoxy, okay? And so that's good because you can't know the Lord with proper biblical orthodoxy, but if you don't realize that orthodoxy is nothing more than the written word that's designed to help you to become intimate with the living word, which would be Christ. And so that drives you deeper in your walk with Christ. Because here's what happens. If you don't let this get you closer to Him, then all of a sudden you become, become a great um, debater of Scripture. You can argue with anyone because you've got great knowledge, but you really aren't changing your life. All you're doing is having a different issue to argue about. So there's not that intimacy with the Lord. So you need that. Now, let me set that aside and say there's a lot of people that have this sweet I love the Lord. They want to talk about the Lord. They'll praise the Lord, slap you on the back. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Oh, isn't he great, sweet Jesus? They're like this all day long. The problem is, is it the Jesus of the Bible? Is it one they created based on influence of others or an emotional excitement thing? Or is it because they're told to give glory to God and the more you do that, the more people think you know God? I can't judge them, but I can tell you this, that if whatever that is doesn't agree with the Scripture, then whatever that is is confusion at the best and often a lie at the worst so it comes back to getting into the word so your intimacy is going to come from the word so when you're praying for these people go back to the verse 
It says here that they, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's a neat word because he reveals himself. I know through nature, through his son. But now that the word is here, that's the best way you can know him. In the knowledge, the full knowledge. Not just the intellectual knowledge. It's the full experiential knowledge. It's everything you can know about God through his word and his being. And he says, that's what I'm praying, that you'll have that spirit of knowledge. Now look up here, let's take a breath. This is so deep for some people that they're bored hearing this. Those on the radio, they may be flipping to another station right now. Because they want to hear, how do I pray for my friend, they got sick, or pray for my, my dad, he needs a job. I'm not saying don't pray for that. But I'm saying that wouldn't it be great if there was a cadre of people that would begin to pray more deeper prayers like this, that they would now have the spirit of wisdom. And what would be revealed to them is the knowledge of God in his book right here. And that we'll use all those problems in our life, watch this, watch this, as chisels to drive us deeper into God by shaping us to become more like him. What a joy that would be. Well, now, here's what he does. This particular verse, uh, we're going to go to the next verse. He begins now to say, all right, how does all of this happen? Verse 18. Okay, I'm going to pray that for you guys. What am I praying now for what I just said? That you would know the Lord and the spirit of wisdom, yada, yada. What happens? Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, there's that word again, verse 15, for all the saints, and then verse 17, so that the God of the Father, then this one says, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Let's park for a moment on the phrase, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, something has to happen first so you can get all the rest of the stuff. All right? Um, those that have been around church a long time know that even though my glasses aren't very thick, um, I have very, uh, I have eyesight that is going to need surgery and attention sometime as soon as I get, uh, anyway. So, not money, courage probably. But anyway, I've, um, I've got to have some surgery. And I see you all pretty good now. Actually, I see two of you because I have double visions due to a growth in my eyeball. I, I love to tell my wife when she gets out of the shower, you look twice as good. You know, that kind of thing, you know, because double vision. Uh, don't go too far. She's not here. Don't tell her I said that. All right. But anyway, it's a double vision. But when I put my glasses on, I don't have double vision as bad. So my glasses give me better vision. So the people that know Christ, they may know some of these truths that are out there, but it's not until God sovereignly opens up the eyes, enlightens the eyes of their heart now, to be able to see these things will they be able to do it. Now why am I telling you that? The people that you might be praying about might have already been involved in pretty good churches. They've been exposed to some pretty good Bible teachers. They've had some exposure to some of the great ministries that are out there. But you're wondering, how come they're not really still getting with the program? I, I don't want to parse this too far. Hardness of the heart, pride, yada, yada. But part of it is we have to ask God to open up the eyes of their heart so they can then begin to see these things. Now, I'm going to illustrate that not by a personal illustration. I want to illustrate it by a biblical illustration now. How many of you remember the story of these two guys that are walking down this road to a tiny town there in the Middle East called Emmaus? And they were talking to a guy. And while they're talking to this guy, they're just rapping back and forth. And it wasn't until later on that the Bible says, Scripture says, that he opened their eyes of their understanding. And those guys weren't talking to another guy. Who were they talking to, everyone? 
Jesus. So at the beginning, their eyes were not opened of their heart until the Lord opened their eyes to be able to see that. So some of you, as you're praying for these people, you are also praying that God would open up their eyes of their heart to be able to fully understand this. So that's what it means by the eyes of their heart to be open. Um, I'm going to share something with you here. Um, some of you will get what I'm saying because of the depth of your Bible knowledge. Some of you, this will sound almost spooky to you. But I'm going to tell you anyway. We, um, we came to church. We all came to church today. We did all of our stuff. We obeyed the stoplights. We parked in the parking place. We made sure we didn't walk into the wall because these are all physical, earthy things that we deal with right here. So we see, you see me. I see you. We've got a great thing going here, all of that. But I want you to know this is not reality, totally. This is huge what I'm about to tell you. Do you know that total reality is to let you know that in this world there are warring factions in an unseen world that's driven by Satan himself? Did you catch that? Do you know that we are in a spiritual battle right now and it's raging, but we don't see the the demons here, we don't see the demons there? We would call that real reality. Now this is me split. What we're living in now is only a virtual reality because we only see this. But Christians also realize that there is a war that's going on between God and Satan, so to speak, between the forces of evil and the forces of good, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. All this is going on around us. The winner is God. So God opens up your eyes, watch this, not to see demons. If if your drapes are flapping in the wind, don't think there's a demon that's blowing it around, all right? But what you have to realize is that every single day, Satan is using the world to attack your flesh, to bring about a temptation, to drag you down and either wreck your life, shut your mouth, muddy your message, do something that will bring glory to himself at the most... Or take glory away from God at the least. So I want you to know that there's something else going on. I said all that to say, your friend or family member that you're praying for, there's something else going on in their life. And I need you to pray that God would open up their eyes so they now can see something far greater. Now, what are they supposed to see? Let's go back to the passage. And there will be just four of these here. All right, back to the passage. You're going to pray that their eyes would be open and enlightened so that they will know, underline the word know, not guess, hope, figure out, they will know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, you want to know that that person now is now understanding that they have been called by God into his forever family, that they now have trusted Christ as Savior. Watch this, watch this. And it is so much bigger than just fire insurance. It is the hope of life now. It is the hope of life future. And those of you who are hearing the word hope for the first time, it is not I hope, I hope, I hope. I hope I have good life here. I hope I get a new life there. No, it's the hope of knowing that it is coming. It is the, the promise of God. The hope comes because of the promise of God in your life. Now when you see that, then all of a sudden, now this gets heavy, but listen up. 
Most of the time, people are out here getting into all of these problems because they got their eyes off of God's system of doing stuff. They got their eyes off of God. Satan fed them a lie. They're drinking a glass full of sand. That's why they're still thirsty all the time, going after more sand that's out there. And what you want to do is say, hey, you don't need that glass of sand because you've got the water of the word. You've got the water of God right here. You have everything. in it. The hope of your calling is that you are a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. He is your Savior. He is your father he's your lord he's your sustainer you have everything you need in him therefore you don't need anything else now that's hope that is hope that's wonderful hope now in a more fun way it's been raining at camp and we're under the big tent the big i told the big food tent and carol says would you go get the umbrella that's in the car. I was in my mind that moment. I said, I sure hope it's there. I hope it's there. I hope it's there. Because you don't want to let your wife down. You don't want to look like you forgot it and all of that. And then you know Carol, those of you that know my wife, she's a big card. She looks at me and she winks and she says, because I put it in there before we left the house. You know? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh